All right, well, good morning, everyone. Help me out. Good morning, everyone. All right, so we're starting a new series called Better Together. And uh, before we do that, I have to do some business here. Um, This past week, uh, I got into my office, and I walked in, and I had my desk there, and I noticed a bag to my left, and I saw an emblem I really didn't like, but I just thought it was a fun little joke, and uh, I received a bag of peanuts with the Boston Red Sox emblem on it. That's not fair. So what happened was um, I decided to eat them to get back at the Boston Red Sox. As you can tell, the bag's almost gone, and I do love peanuts, but uh, I've asked Pastor Dennis that we would put out a detective to find out who did this. And if we find out who did it, I'm just going to ask you to get me some Yankee peanuts next time. All right, okay. All right, okay. So anyway, just, I do like peanuts if you want to throw some peanuts at me. Not at me, but like so I can enjoy them. All right, so we're starting a new series called Better Together. And um, sometimes what happens is when we understand what that means, we've been talking about unity, we talk about who we are, we're Grace Church, we're God's church, but one of the things that we want to understand about better, being better together in unity, unity is necessary for us to grow together because when we become the body of Christ that the world wants to see, they're going to see that we're desiring to be better together, and then when we desire to be better together and wanting to be together, they're going to want to join us. And so we always ask this question about what does it really look like, you know, for community, being better together as the people of God. So I have a fun little video here or just something you guys maybe want to see. Maybe this is what it looks like to be better together. Amen. Are you guys, give it, give them a hand. They were just awesome, were they not? All right, well, I got to be honest with you. If that's what Better Together looks like, I'm out of here. Because uh, I just don't know, man. I mean, is that what the body of Christ is supposed to look like? We're just supposed to be happy all the time, excited, always liking each, each other, liking the things that we like, hanging out together, spending time together, having the same preferences, mutual interests. Or is it the body of Christ is something different? And that's what we have to find out, because why did Christ come? What was the purpose of it? So as we look at the book of Acts today, we're only going to look at one verse, but we're going to look at other verses outside of it. But before we get to that verse, we have to understand, first of all, is why when Christ came in the inauguration of the kingdom of God in the church, and the church age, the Holy Spirit came in, and when we trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit enters into our relationship. And as we have this relationship with God, um, we understand that walking with God is relational. And we are having a relationship because God is relational. And so 
But we have to understand, looking back at to what Peter was preaching in the book of Acts chapter 2. So look with me to chapter 2, verse 33. Chapter 2, verse 33, if you can open up your Bibles. Again, Peter is speaking. This is the inauguration of the kingdom of God, the Pentecost. It's happening in this chapter. And as he begins to preach to the Jews that were here, the audience was obvious that there were people who followed Judaism and were not sure about having a relationship with God through Christ. In fact, they focused and knew that Jesus Christ was this liar and this lunatic who was one whom they did not want to trust in. And what happened was the Jews were having a hard time understanding that there were even Gentiles and Greeks around them that were coming to faith, but they just couldn't grasp that. So Peter, in the boldness of the power of the Holy Spirit, he's speaking. Verse 33 says this, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of, of God, Jesus, and having received from the Father... The promise of the Holy Spirit. This was spoken in Luke 24, 44 through 47. But then it was brought forth in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And how they were to travel from this promise of the Holy Spirit that was to come. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was temporary and selective. The New Testament permanent and indwelling. So as we understand theologically, that is important for us to understand too because in Christ, when we're in Christ, when we grieve the Holy Spirit, when we quench the Holy Spirit through sin, through miscommunication, through fighting and arguing in community, we quench the Spirit to be at work. And when we quench the Spirit to be at work, then we're not better together. And we're not better for the kingdom of God to reach a world that are far away. Who in the world would want to come in here if we're not in community together? So we need the Spirit of God. So God is using Peter to speak boldly. Today, uh, when someone speaks boldly, they're mistaken to be out of character. Those who are in Christ, if we speak boldly, we're afraid we're going to offend people. God is using Peter in a way to speak to the Jews because they were easily offended, thinking that this Jesus truly is curious, Lord, Yahweh, the Messiah to come. And so he's come. And he resurrected from the dead. And he's come to bring life. And so that promise is there. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes. Now, you move on to that verse. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The senses that he's given us. We see and hear where our hearts are connected to what we see and we hear. In verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, talking to the Jews... But he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The culmination, the sanctification, moving to glorification, the culmination at the end, Jesus in an authoritative role as the Son of God who's sitting at the right hand of the Father, which comes to that true culmination at the end. But we understand too, because this is what Peter says in the next verse. He's let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, Lord Curios, Christ the Messiah, just Jesus whom you crucified. So he's calling them out boldly saying, you've crucified the Lord, the Christ, the Messiah, the one who's come. You're longing for him to come, but you put him aside and you crucified him. And understand too, when Luke was writing in chapter 17, verse 21, he was saying that the lordship of Christ begins and reigns in our hearts. So the already not yet, meaning he has begun reigning in our hearts at the initial point of salvation and through sanctification. And ultimately at the end, 
of glorification. So it's, it's understood. So he's creating this, this idea of community. He's creating this importance of community. So let's look at verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And see, God and his power through the Holy Spirit, because of what Jesus has done with the person and work of Jesus, God in, intervenes. He, he penetrates the sinner's heart. See, community doesn't happen when everything's great and crazy great. You know, everybody's jumping around, bumping each other. And everybody's happy and jumping around. That's not true community. Because, see, what God wants to do is he wants to cut the heart. Because when he cuts it at the heart, he's doing surgery to the sinner. But he's doing surgery because he wants to clean out the infections. He wants to clean out that which are the poisons in us. And so what happens is he has to lay us out on a table and begin to cut at our hearts. So when the truth comes, it cuts at the heart of a sinner. It's offensive to the sinner. It's offensive to the Jew. And when God's cutting the heart, he's not doing it because he wants to point out that you're not good enough. He cuts at the heart because he wants to heal you and I. That's relationship. That's community. In fact, community truly begins at the point of Trinity. In the Trinity, community began. And with the Trinity, you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in a harmonious unity, knowing their roles, yet still the same in essence. And the beauty is that Jesus would never say, hey, Father, this is, my, this is on me now. This is all about me. Put the glory on me. Oh, and Jesus is right there. So, Father, Spirit, hold back. It's all about me right now. Or Father said, well, listen, it wouldn't be about you because I was the one who sent you, so you wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for me. The Spirit said, y'all just both keep it quiet because I come into the sinner's heart, and I'm the one who's got to deal with them. So you just got to know that it's all about me. See, they don't work that way. It's never about glory in either of the persons of the Trinity. And I say that to say the unity that exists between the Trinity is a beautiful, harmonious unity because they have community and it's relationship. And so when we understand that, when we come to Christ and we come to find and know the God who created us through Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth is working in us to tell us to bring glory to Jesus and ultimately to the Father. So the beauty of this is that Peter is speaking on these things. Then he goes on further in verse, verse 38, and he said to this, he goes, um, and Peter said to them, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Meaning now that I have revealed your sin to you, and you have seen it, and I've cut you at the heart, now repent. See, repent means to turn it back going the other way. So what it means is to turn around and see Jesus the other way. That he's both Lord and Christ. And when you and I see Jesus as Lord and Christ, we confess our sin and repent because we know who we are, and we know who he is. And the Spirit of God is revealing that to us, who the Jesus is, this Christ. And Jesus the Christ who is there is now working on us. And the beauty of walking with him daily, because now the cutting of the heart is when he begins to heal the wounds and give us comfort and, and relief from pain. So when you and I are exposed before the Almighty God, he doesn't leave us there. He corrects us. He cleans us. And he brings us to a place of relationship far deeper and more intimate with him. And he goes on to say this, verse 39, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, 
Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. That's relationship. Verse 40. And as many other words, he bore witness and continued to ex- you know, exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. See, so often people talk about discipleship being something that slows a church down. But here, discipleship is happening at the beginning with Peter. And discipleship happens, and when God exposes the, the sinner, and when the sinner is exposed before God and the heart's being cut, that's when discipleship really begins. And when discipleship begins in that believer, and then they grow, and then others grow, and then when I grow as a disciple, I'm going to lead others to be discipled. And when I lead others to be discipled, I'm training them to go to the next person. And then many will be added to the church. See, discipleship shouldn't slow a church down. It should increase the church. It should be momentum that moves forward. And you and I should all be disciples for the kingdom of God. The question is, are we discipling someone? See, only you can answer that question. I can't. I can't disciple everyone in a church. Pastor Dennis can't do that. Nobody on staff can. And sure enough, the pastoral team cannot, the elders. But we together, when we're trained, we're better together. When each of you, all of us play our part and we get in there and we start to, to disciple. So it's important to understand. So we're at verse 42. And we're understanding what does this really mean. So the first thing is I mentioned already that we need to, if you have your worship guides there in front of you, You'll see that on that outline there, the first point there is we're being relational as a community of people. It starts with the Trinity. It's interpersonal. Okay, you might say this word, interpersonal. Well, well the Trinity is interpersonal, interconnected, as I mentioned earlier. Relationship together, and that would help us as well to grow. So let's look at chapter 2, verse 42, and it says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayers. There are four items there for community. Remember that there was Judaism, there were were still community, and the people of the Jews in the Old Testament community was important amongst the people, ethnic background, and also for the, the spiritual Jew, for the one who had faith in the God who was of Israel, the God that they were by grace through faith in the God of Israel. And so they had this community But now they were learning that there was a community through the power of the Holy Spirit and bringing forth a community that was likened to be called the church. But they were were called the way. So these were a people of God. And so um, one of the points that we're we're seeing here in the first point of, of verse 42 is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, we have to understand one thing about the gospel. It's Trinitarian. Meaning you can't take the Father out and have the gospel. You can't take the Son out and have the gospel. You can't take the Spirit out and only have the Father and the Son because then you have no gospel. There's not only Jesus, only gospel. There's no way. You have to have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is necessary because the gospel is Trinitarian. And being Trinitarian, it's not just a body of information. It's not just content. Because within that content... We have to understand that it's also transformational. So one of the things that we want to put on our first point is that the content is not only informational, but transformational. And it's important to keep in mind because the word devoting means to persist, to persevere. 
Um, it, it's, it's the idea of a continuous action. They were constantly devoting themselves to the content of the faith because they knew it was to change them, but it was a teaching that was changing. They were teaching this word. You know, sometimes Christianity can be mundane when you hear the gospel over and over and over and over again. I knew when I grew up in the Catholic Church, I heard the Trinity and the gospel every week. And I couldn't wait for the priest to get to the next part of the service so I can get myself out of there as soon as possible. Because every time I heard the gospel, I didn't even, it didn't penetrate me. It was just a bunch of information. And you know, my mom would drop a dollar or two or maybe on a good day, five dollars into the basket. But when I would go there, I was just happy. When we would do the Apostles' Creed, we had to say the Apostles' Creed. And I'd be like, nom, 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 nom. I don't know, but this is the place where peace be with you, my peace be with you. And they would shake hands, and it's all good. But I'd hear the priest sharing the gospel, but there was nothing else. It didn't penetrate my heart. It didn't cut at my heart. It didn't do anything for me. I wasn't transformed because after I got outside of that building, my mouth was just a, like a sailor, just like a, just blah, 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 using words that were not appropriate. So I was like, boy, that didn't do anything for me. So I would walk out. My brother and I would be fighting in the parking lot. I'm not kidding you. It's the truth. My wife can attest to it <laughs> because she wasn't there, but she knows enough about me and what I had in the past with my brother. But what I share that is to say that information alone will never trans transfer anything other than just information to the mind. But transformation is when you have information at transformation with the cross and the Holy Spirit as a bridge. And that's the beauty of what we see here with community is the importance of teaching. And so when we have a, a scripture here, Acts 13, 12, it says, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And so another, another passage here that's not here on the screen, Acts eleven twenty five twenty six, 26, where Barnabas was looking for Saul and Tarsus at the very beginning, prior to them going on to their missionary journeys. It says this, Luke wrote this, he said, so Barnabas went to Tar Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So here were people who were Christians who were becoming disciples. And so it's important for us to understand in community that we have to be about the teaching. Second point here is this. We live what we teach and teach what we live. I want to share a little scripture here. It says in 2 Timothy 2, 1 through two, it says this, that you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, his protege. And see, the word entrust means to entrust with safekeeping. I don't know, some of you, maybe you have a little safe at home, maybe you don't, maybe you have a box where there's a little bit of extra money. Just in case someday you don't, you know, you fall that, you don't have any money and you need a little extra money, you can't get to the bank, maybe the whole internet goes down and you need to have some cash. It's always important to have some cash at home just in case some of that happens. I'm starting to learn that. And so if you have a kid like mine or kids who want allowances, they need money every month. And I have to make sure I have money for them every month. So I put my cash away. But I place it in a, in a, in a safe place because it's valuable. Or maybe something else that you have that's very valuable, something that you enjoy. 
You put it away in a safe key. You don't want your kids to get it. You don't want your grandkids to get it. You don't want your wife to get it, your husband to get it. You don't want anybody to know, but it's just a safe place. But you only allow certain people to know. You only entrust it to certain people. And I can guarantee you, if it's money, we don't entrust too many people to our money. And so when we are entrusting, Paul is entrusting the gospel to Timothy. He's teaching him, but he's entrusting him with it. Who, what are you doing today? What are you that is so valuable to you that you're entrusting someone with something that you have? What is it? Is it so safeguarded that you won't even trust your spouse? Is it so safeguarded that you won't trust your best friend? What is it that you have? Or maybe it's just something you have to. Whatever the case, we have the gospel and we're to entrust it. But we also have to be faithful people, a dependable, trustworthy people is what Paul says. And then he says, you're able, which the word is competent. Because here's what it is. It's, it's to meet a standard, to fit appropriately, to be competent, to be qualified. So you and I, we've been qualified in Christ because of what he did from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light of his son. Because in Colossians it says we've been qualified. But see, here's the thing. Who in the world would want to even, if you and I are not working together, not communing together, not being better together, who in the world would want to even listen to what you have to say if you and I are not living out what we teach? Who in the world is going to want to be around us? The world out there wouldn't even care to come in. We're living as though we don't have life in us, new life. We're living as though we don't have the gospel. We're not entrusting it to anyone. So how do we, how do we become the quality? The qualifier is this. We live out what we teach because God qualified us. And see, God's doing that work in us and through us, but we have to be persistent we have to be just like devoting ourselves to it because it's hard, it's difficult, it's very challenging to do the same thing over and over and over. So how do you do that? Well, see, you know, this past week I was preparing for staff and, I'm, and I was praying this and, Lord, it just seems to me, and I'm having a talk with God, I'm like, Lord, it just seems that sometimes this message is mundane. It's just the same thing over and over. We're trying to switch it over. Lord, I need a new, fresh Word from heaven right now. God, give me something. What do you want me to share with our staff? What do you want me to share with the staff that's before me today? Lord, I'm crying out to you. I'm in my office and I'm praying. And the Holy Spirit says, I want you to get them to confess their sin. I said, okay, Lord, like before we start, he goes, before you start. And we had a fresh time of confessing our sin as a staff before God. We had a fresh time of just sharing and bearing our hearts in our devotion. And I do a devotional each week with them. The beauty of it is that God gave me a fresh word. And the gospel that is the same over and over and over, you hear the content, the information, is transformational when we ask God to do a work in through us. We've got, are you, are you guys hearing me? Because I'm not hearing anything from you. You got to talk to me a little bit. Because does that make sense? Because sometimes you guys feeling what I'm feeling or you're just kind of out there and you don't think it's all mundane. Sometimes it's mundane. And we have to ask that question. Or maybe I need to put my glasses on so I can see you. <laughs> no, now I see those hods. No, you know, they're like this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So, so the thing is, is that you guys, you have to understand that the beauty of it is that we have to live what we teach. That's what transforms our lives. Third is this. 
relationships, your relationships with the people of God will only go as far as you go with God. Look at this scripture with me. This is Paul speaking again. Paul was in the midst of false teachers. They were accusing him that he was a false teacher. Then they maneuvered and manipulated the people that were following Paul to follow these false teachers. The false teachers were running on that. Paul didn't want to react, so he responded. But he responded so eloquently through the power of the Holy Spirit when he said this, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. Because he could have taken it as a prideful response. But he realized it doesn't even come from him in the first place. But our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. See, here's the thing. In relationship with God, when we're trying to build something, when we think that we have to prove something, we have to show something to someone in the body of Christ, it's difficult because sometimes what we find ourselves doing is we're trying to get a little bit limelight there, and God's saying, wait a minute, this is not about you. It, you can't even be sufficient in yourself with this gospel. I've made you qualified. I've made you, I've brought about sufficiency in you. It's not deriving from you. What Paul understood was is that in my relationship with God, it doesn't come from me. He grew deeper in intimate love with God when he found out that the pressure was off of himself. And now it wasn't about him. So when he grew deeper in relationship with God, he was able to reach thousands and thousands because God was doing an intimate work in him. He was cutting him at the heart. He was challenging him, saying, it's not about you, Paul. Now, I want to be honest with you. Jesus is amazing. He's God, God in flesh. But I'll tell you something. Paul was flesh, but I would sure love to just be Paul. If I could just be Paul, I'd be a happy man. Because Paul was a man who was vulnerable and transparent, willing to do everything for the kingdom of God and for the community of God. It wasn't about him. And I think the beauty of his understanding is that that's where community should come understanding the role that we are interpersonal in relationships. Second thing is this. We have to understand that we, we are called to be intimate. Look what this verse 42 of chapter 2. It says this, To the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, koinia, and the breaking of bread and prayers. So fellowship really means this. It means close association involving mutual interests and sharing, association, communion, Fellowship, close relationships. So that's what the word in the Greek means. It's koinonia, and we share common bonds. But, and here's another thing with the breaking of bread. I'm going to couple these together. The breaking of the bread could allude to the Lord's Supper. Some scholars would have thought that to be, but it's really, we believe that it, it's, you know, that when we look through the scriptures and the scholars were looking through the scriptures, we see that it could allude to just breaking bread, just coming together in fellowship. It's just something amazing. I don't know about you, but when um, food gets around me, I become transparent and vulnerable. Um, you know, when I was traveling, when Joy and I were traveling 2000, but he was just a little baby, and we were going down to Dallas for Dallas Seminary, um, we discovered something amazing. And, and when we got to the South, it was like something about biscuits and the butter and the smoothness of a butter with a little bit of jelly on the top and just like, just biting into that and just like the butter oozing over on your face. And you're just like, oh, heaven. And you're just sitting there eating it. And see, I grew up, my mother would knead the bread, 
flip it over, knead the bread like that. And I'm saying, Mom, when is the bread going to be done? No, you worry. I finished the bread. And so she would sit there. And when it came out, it was just these beautiful rolls. And you take some butter and you just throw slabs of butter in there. And you're just like sitting there. And it's just like heaven. I'm like, yeah, give me some more. And we would sneak. And me and my brother would just sneak around and get some more. And she would yell at us. But it was beautiful because it was comforting. There was something beautiful about the breaking of the bread and getting with people. And so, so when we were traveling down um, to, we discovered something amazing in the South, Cracker Barrel. It was like, oh. I mean, I walked in, I was like, wow. And my wife's like, ah, it's butter. And I said, I don't care, give me the butter. And so it was just like, you would walk on and all these cornbreads and these, you know, biscuits and the food and it's sopping. And it was just, and we just, and all of a sudden, we just went to every Cracker Barrel we could go. We had to travel from Pennsylvania down to Dallas, 25 hours, and all we looked, and we didn't have internet then. We had the papers, you know, from MapQuest, and we're just sitting there, and we're like, I don't know, man. We just got to keep looking for a sign for Cracker Barrel. And we just went to Cracker Barrel. We just wore it out. And every time, someone asked me after the first service, they said, where did you go? I'm like, what did you get? Every time the same thing. I said, yeah, catfish, chicken, more catfish, chicken, lots of, you know, sides. And then I would do the, the cake with the ice cream and the, co- and the cup and the coffee cup. I mean, it was just like I had to go all out because if you're going to do that. So it was incredible because now... Um, we just, we love Cracker Barrel. In fact, we might have some when we go on our way home. That might be one of our ideas. But the idea is that it was, it's just something about food and getting together and being vulnerable and transparent and just sharing your heart. This is what they were doing, coming together, sharing interests. But here's the thing that we have to understand. When we're understanding this is, is intimate interaction and mutual acceptance Does this mean that we have to like the same things and do the same things and like the same foods? See, we're a nation people. We have different ethnic backgrounds, different personalities, different ways in which we eat food and prepare food. We're going to go before the throne of God like we always, like we do now, but in the presence of God and the fullness thereof as a nation people. We're not going to be a bunch of Americans that are going to sit there and go, I'm an American. No, you're not. Not in front of God, you're not. You're a nation people. God created you with a background for a purpose, to use what he has created you because we're a community of people. Every one of us, because just as you would think one ethnic group thinks they're the best, another one thinks they're the best, then another one thinks they're the best, and then this one thinks they're the best. And what happens is that we have to get off of who's the best and enjoy one another. Because that's what fellowship is about. We're better together when we appreciate each other. When I was, um, it, it doesn't matter what background, when I was in, um, in LBC, well, it was uh, called PBU. It's Karen University now. I used to travel going back and forth. I would drive the van from the old dorms to the new dorms. That was my job. And so we had people from all different areas. We have people from Germany, Russia, from Africa. So I would sit there and I would just ask him, hey, how do you say hello in your language? And they would teach me and I'd write it down. Like, Bruno, what are you doing this for? I said, well, I'm Italian. I want to learn some other languages. So they would do that. And so <coughs> I learned a few African words. And one of them was Mzungu. Mzungu is white man. So I would say, tell me, you know, hey, how do you say white man? They said, Mzungu. So I would, they would get into the van and go, Mzungu. And they laugh and go, Mzungu. And I, just, and I didn't know what else I had to say because that's all I could say I put together. But I would write things down. And then a German would come in and say, hey, how do you say this? 
And Russia and I say, if one person said to me, they go, Bruno, why are you doing that? We're in America. I said, hey, hold off. So I'm an Italian. My parents are from Italy. We're a people of God. We're not Americans only. There are Christians everywhere. We're a nation people. I think it's time for you and I to learn other country and other languages because it's not about the English language. And when we come together in community, we're better together when we appreciate each other, when we accept each other. So here's what I wanted to share with you is that intimate interaction doesn't mean we have the same mutual interests or goals. Intimate interaction means we should have the same mutual acceptance of one another. This is key because that's where we grow together. That's where we're better together. So when people from all different nations and countries come in here, we are trained and we have a culture here that reaches out to all people. We don't want to simply work with people who are like us. We want to reach out to those who are different. Look with me to Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29. I want to work through this for just a minute. Paul was in a dungeon. He was talking to the, to the church in Philippi, and he was trying to encourage them about working together and about community, about gathering together. So in verse 27, it says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents, the Judaizers. This is clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that of from God. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you that the, for the sake of the Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also, but also suffer for his sake. Now, in verse 27, you may see manner. NET says conduct yourselves. Actually, the Greek, it means live as citizens. That's the actual word, what it means. So you can say only live as citizens being worthy of the gospel of Christ. So what he's saying is that just like a free person belonging to the Roman society has that freedom to roam around, we who are citizens are to ask the question, who are we citizens for? And in Christ, we're citizens of heaven. This isn't our citizenship. We must live like we're in the heavenly places. But the question I have is this. When we conduct ourselves, are we conducting ourselves? Do we live as citizens in an individual cause, for an individual cause, or for a plural cause? Meaning when I represent Christ and how I conduct myself will also relate and affect you. Because if I'm a Christian and I call bear the name Christ and you're a Christian and bear the name Christ and I act like a fool, then I'm hurting you and I'm hurting the body. If I'm an American, which I am, and I don't act properly and I don't conduct myself, if I'm in another country and someone sees me as an American, they're going to assume every American acts the way that I do. So when I conduct myself, I have to do it in a manner that's worthy to represent the citizenship that I have as an American. Or better yet, the citizenship I have in heaven as a Christian. And to conduct myself simply means this, is the responsibility of having a relationship with God, submitting to him, repenting, asking him to do a work in me so I could present Christ wherever I go. See, Paul wrote some words here in this passage. He said this, to stand firm in one spirit and one mind. Really, that's the soul. The word spirit is translated as the mind and the heart and the soul, that the heart is the center of the person. And so when I stand firm in one spirit with the body of Christ, we're one together, 
conducting ourselves well as citizens. So when we're all doing that well, we're better together and we're better out there in the world. So they see a difference in us. And it says this, it says, by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel, striving together, it says in that version, it means to contend, it means to toil together with something of struggle, implying opposition or competition, the labor alongside of. So what we're doing is, so many times people think it's just communities jumping up and down and bumping each other and having a happy day. But guess what? It's through struggle and difficulty and contending and striving and persisting and pursuing and persevering that brings a people of God together. It brings us together in community and causes us to be better together for the kingdom of God because now we grow in relationship. How many times do we understand that? How often do you spend time with anybody in this church? Five minutes? Ten minutes? Twenty minutes? How in the world are you going to get to know someone in five minutes? But when you contend and strive and work together and work and get to know each other, even though you may not like each other at times, you learn to appreciate each other for your differentness. And that's the beauty of what Paul is saying. He goes that we have to contend and strive. Because you know what? He said in verse 29, it is granted not to only believe but to suffer. Do you know it's a gift to suffer for the gospel? What? Well, God is saying that if you suffer together for the gospel, it's a gift from God. Why? Because through it, you will become more like Jesus in relationship. And then you and I will get to know God in the fullness of the Trinity. That's the beauty of understanding this. That's why it's important what Luke is saying here is that these elements for community are necessary. And the last element is obviously prayer. It's prayer. It's interceding. Do you know, let me just share a few comments here about prayer. First of all, prayer leads to dependency on God. It's really just that simple. So when we think of the word prayer, especially in the book of Acts, we see that it was used as a noun 12 times in Luke and in Acts. Nine times of those 12 times was in the book of Acts. The emphasis of prayer was necessary in establishing the church and continues. The verb in, is in where Luke was writing 34 times in Luke and in Acts, 16 times in the book of Acts, which is almost half, half of that time. Meaning the emphasis of we have to be in action with prayer. So the prayers that he's mentioning here wasn't just reciting prayers from Judaism, but I also believe it was more just just formal prayer. It was informal prayer. And the informal prayer that was happening was us building in relationship with God. So Jesus makes mention of it too, or Mark does about Jesus when he says this. When Jesus was at the beginning of the book, he said, and rising very early in the morning... While it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place there where he prayed. You know what desolate means? It means an, an area of isolation, unfrequented, abandoned, empty. It means this. It means it's a place of no interruptions. A place where you can only truly hear the voice of God. A place where privacy, where no one else can enter. A place where you know a person is not allowed in. Where's your place of of prayer. Does it reflect what I just shared? Are you in a quiet place, in a secret hiding place where no one else can enter in? Nobody? You don't hear any other voices but the word of God and God speaking to you? When you're praying, 
do you hear for that? You know, when I first came to Christ, um, very, very early in my year, my first two months, I was working at Merrill Lynch Realty, and uh, I was in the accounting department, and I found that place. It was lunchtime. My pastor challenged me to read 10 chapters a day, and then I used the bathroom for my prayer. I kid you not, I went to the bathroom. That was the place where I had to go. And so I went. I went often. I mean, you know, some, some guy came up saying, Bruno, dude, I don't mean to be personal or anything. Like, but do you have a bladder problem or what? I said, no, nah, man. I, got, I, I wish I had one, but no, I don't, man. I got to be honest with you. You might think it's a little strange. But, um, you know, I go in there to pray. He goes, what? I said, I'm a Christian. I just, I just trusted in Christ, and I go in there to pray. It's my quiet place. You know, I know it's strange, but it's where it's at right now for me. And it was a quiet place for me during the day because I was there 10, 12 hours a day. And I just wanted Jesus to permeate my life. But I know it sounds strange. I share it because it was a place of dependency for me. Secondly is this. Prayer increases our devotion for God. You know, when we look at it, it says, uh, Jesus, even in Luke five sixteen, it says, but he who would withdraw to desolate places and pray. That's what he did. He went there. He interconnected with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He knew that was vital. And lastly, prayer is an opportunity, an instrument to intercede for others. It's important. So this is where the body of Christ, the people of God, are coming together. It says this in Romans 8, 26, 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings to deep four words. He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. See, intercession is this. We intercede for another brother or sister in Christ. Then we ask Jesus and the Spirit intercede to the Father on our behalf because in verse 34 of chapter 8, it talks about Jesus being a part of the intercession. And when we ask Jesus and we ask the Spirit to intercede, they know our groanings. We don't even know how to pray, yet they intercede and take over the prayer. And they go to the Father, and the Father receives that prayer. And then he promises it out according to his will. Not the way we want it, but the way his will is about. You know, this past week I've had an interesting week. Pastor Dennis knows. Um, we're trying to get some things done at the house in Pennsylvania. And there was one last thing, and they asked, could you certify the chimney? I'm like, oh, yeah, clean it out, certify, no problem. 200 bucks, no problem. Yeah, I got that. Well, the company came in, inspected it, and found out it wasn't 200 bucks. I didn't even know there was code on chimneys up in Pennsylvania. So he took a camera up, and he says, you have deteriorated mortar lines. I said, okay, so why don't you just go up there with your little mechanism and fill in the lines? He goes, no, that doesn't work like that. He goes, you got to put a liner in there, or there's a way in which we don't know how to do it, but there's other companies can do something else. But he goes, I don't know of it. I said, okay, so how much? He goes, pretty expensive, about three dollars to $5,000. I'm like, huh, what, huh? Excuse me? Oh, no, I'm not paying that. He goes, you know, so we're just sitting there, and I'm like holding myself, saying, please, Bruno, don't react, don't react. And I'm getting frustrated. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I'm spending the whole week praying and asking God for an open door. Called 15 different companies. Half of them, more than half, couldn't even do it because they didn't have time. Finally got down to two people. And one particular one, um, I was able to, and by the grace of God, get him down quite a bit from doing this process. But when I talked to him, I talked to another guy, and he came a little lower. So then I went back to the other guy, and I said, hey, can you come down a little lower? And he goes, no, this is my lowest price. 
And I was talking to him, and he goes, send me that estimate, and maybe I can work it out. I didn't want to give him the estimate, but I read it off, and I accidentally shared the company. Well, he heard the company's name, and he ripped that company up. And I was like, oh, and I said, I said, yo, man, do you think that's appropriate to do that? I mean, I understand you're frustrated. I'm not going to hold that against you. But do you think business ethic is that really appropriate? He goes, no, I'm really sorry. I had a bad day. Didn't eat today. I'm really embarrassed. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, that's all right, man. I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm just simply saying, do you think that's the case? I just think that maybe that wouldn't have been a good thing. Then I didn't know, I just was trying to be nice, and he texts me back. He goes, hey, I'm really sorry again. Hey, what church are you involved in? Where are you pastor at? What denomination? Starts asking me questions. And I'm going to talk to him some more about it because I have to communicate with him. And it's the beauty of it is that he recognized my response, that it wasn't even appropriate. This guy did something personal against him, whatever, but it was... Whatever the case, the Lord used it. So in this trial, all week long praying, God used an opportunity for me to just testify of something for, for the Lord. And I will have an opportunity. I'm going to talk to him some more. But the beauty of it is that we can intercede. We can pray. We can make a difference. We can be a light. We can do that. Because if God is changing us, we can be a light that changes others. When we're better together, we're going to be better for the kingdom of God outside in the world. We're not going to react. We're going to respond. When I have my brothers and sisters praying for me, because obviously people were praying, Pastor Dennis was praying, I was asking him to pray, and others were praying, that it was through that that God used all of that because he came better, we came better together knowing I had Pastor there with me praying and working together and asking the staff to pray for me and being vulnerable and transparent and saying, I need help here. And we are better together when we work together and we're transparent and vulnerable. See, this is why I think Paul was saying this in closing here, that in these four elements, content alone will not change. But when we see information that leads to transformation, that's when the content of faith really does work because it's a relationship with the Trinity too, is that the fellowship that we have in Koinonia is a shared mutual interest but not so much in what we do here on earth, but that mutual interest in Christ of having a common bond in Christ, breaking bread, opening up, being transparent, being vulnerable, having the comforts of being together, and lastly, praying for each other with the beauty of interceding. That's the beauty of it. And I want to encourage you this week, as we continue in this series, Better Together, God wants to do a work in our church. We're going to be better together with these four elements. Take this verse this week. And I encourage you to just read it and pray on it. Ask God to change you in these areas. God, help me to desire koinia. Help me desire to get with people and have breakfast or lunch or whatever. Help me to pray for more people. Help me to read the scriptures and let it transform my life. I want to encourage you to do this. As the team is coming up, let's take this moment and just pray and ask God to do an awesome, awesome work in us for the glory of God. Let's just pray. Father, thank you. God, I, I know... Community is necessary. And community can't happen without your power and leading in our lives. So God, today we just pray that you would do an amazing work in our hearts today. Teach us to be better together. Teach us to work together. Teach us to strive together. Teach us to contend with each other. Teach us to appreciate each other. Teach us to, Lord, just learn about the gospel and share it with others. God, just do an amazing work in us today and throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.